You're listening to Under a Pile of Books. In this episode, I sit down with author Judith Starkston to talk about her book, Priestess of Ashana. It's a wonderful, wonderful interview, especially if you are interested in uh, historical fantasy uh, or if uh, you happen to uh, be interested in uh, Bronze Age Anatolia and the ancient Hittites, uh, or even if you just enjoy a good fantasy romance, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Judith. Big thank you to her for being willing to come on. Uh, also, just a quick update because it has been quite a while since uh, I've had any uh, new episodes up. Uh, I am still around. I am still reading. I'm still working on stuff. I'm going to be putting together, hopefully sometime soon, uh, a number of kind of review episodes. uh, So you will get those uh, coming up in the near future. Uh, Things have just been a little crazy in uh, life at the moment. So it... everything has just kind of felt a little chaotic and out of control. And it's, it's been a little longer than I expected uh, to get stuff together. So anyway, uh, for now, please enjoy this phenomenal interview with Judith Starkston and be on the lookout for more uh, from under a pile of books soon. Thanks. Hey everyone. I am here with uh, Judith Starkston author of Priestess of Ishana, as well as two sequels in that series, uh, Sorcery in Alpara and Of Kings and Griffins. Uh, She also has a couple other books uh, as well. So welcome, Judith. Good to be here. Well, I'm I'm really glad uh, that you're able to uh, to to join us here and and do this interview. So, uh, to kind of kick things off, would you be willing to tell us just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I write uh, historical fantasy. I use the world, the Bronze Age uh, world of the Hittites, as the inspiration for my world building. Yeah, and um, I taught English and Latin and all kinds of things because I'm originally trained as a classicist for many years. And now I get the joy of just writing full time. So that's me. I love it. Yeah. Oh man, that's really cool. Well, and, um, as, as you mentioned, uh, you kind of write, uh, with, uh, the bronze age Hittites as your, your backdrop here. So, um, you know, most fantasy, in fact, I don't know if off the top of my head I can think of any other fantasy that's set in uh, the Bronze Age Hittite Empire. So uh, why choose this as the historical backdrop for you know your series? Well, I got started, as I said, I'm a classicist. So I mm-hmm. started with Greeks primarily as the thing I loved and got inspired by. Um, and I was writing a novel um, set in the Trojan War. And the Trojans, it turns out, are actually really part of the Hittite world, maybe on the edge of it, but they're very much in that culture. And that was a world I knew nothing about because when I was a graduate student, the the Hittites had the grave misfortune as an empire of just getting lost to history. And they had to be literally dug out of the ground Um, primarily in the 20th century and primarily in the latter half of the 20th century. (laughs) Um, And, you know, classicists are are kind of a snooty bunch sometimes, I think, and they they don't like to look East. They like to think of, you know, oh, Western civilization. So I think that's right. (laughs) 
you know, slow uptake on this amazing culture that was there coming out. Um, and so I didn't know about it. And I dove in and uh, when I met the queen who is at the center of my main character of my series, I just fell in love with her and this whole amazing culture that I had not been able, I can access it because of my language training and all, but I, it was a whole new upload for me and I love it. So. Oh man, see, this is, this is really cool. I, uh, I actually uh, remember myself in, um, uh, in, uh, graduate school, uh, on a, on a test, uh, ending up, uh, uh, history and archeology span of the ancient near East. I, I ended up uh, having to write a, uh, an essay answer on, uh, trade between, uh, Ashur and the, uh, Hittite empire. Uh, so that was, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Um, yes, yeah, so you went to school later than I did. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We, we knew about the Hittites. About your training, they were doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, but no, it's, it's really, I just, I think it's so interesting. One of the things I love about, um, fantasy and, and, uh, and whatnot is, uh, some of the, the really, uh, unique settings we can get in fantasy that, that pull from real world settings or, you know, either they pull from them or, uh, as your novel is they're they're actually historical fantasy set in a, uh, you know, during a particular time period in a particular, uh, historical moment. So, uh, so I think it's, it's, it's really, really cool. Now, uh, you know, you manage to, to not only set your story in bronze age Anatolia, right. But, uh, and, and you, you touched on this, this a little bit, um, here just a second ago, but you know, now I'm no expert by any means, but you get all the historical details right as far as I can can kind of make out. Obviously, taking some some liberties here and there, but you, you're 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 setting things up in in just such a wonderful way. Um, how much research went into uh, allowing you to craft this story and write uh, uh, these novels uh, in 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 this way and w- with such fidelity to the the historical context. Uh, a ton. Um, when I started out, oh gosh, um, I started diving into the Hittites mm, two decades ago, 15 years ago. I, I, I'd have to really think. But um, at the time, um, I just started reading everything. But there was only, um, for the most part, there were only the kind of what I think of as the raw archaeological site reports, which are mm. the best cure for insomnia there ever was. <laughs> just, you know, you know, four centimeters of this dirt and, you know, this rock and nothing is contextualized. It's just like this stuff. It's raw data coming in. And then there were the translations of the, fortunately, this is a literate culture with you know, big mm-hmm. archives, uh, royal archives that have been excavated. And the translations were, you know, were coming in. Um, those are pretty hard to read because they're, you know, they're fragmentary tablets and it's a language written in a Sumerian script, but an Indo-European <laughs> language. I mean, it's just like a mess when they get done with translation. So, um 
none of that was easy. And in the early days, like I remember at one point I had, when I had written my first book, early draft, and I was visiting my daughter in Boston and I went into the Sackler Museum that has a good Hittite, small, but good Hittite collection. And I like broke behind that, like I went, snuck behind the public part into this office stack that's behind the <laughs> and walk down the halls looking for the name of you know this this the curator that I knew knew this stuff and I knocked on her open door and she was like so welcoming you know it's like one of those serendipitous moments and I described this world I'd reconstructed from all this raw data and, and said, is this like anywhere, right? You know, I don't have colleagues in Arizona that know this stuff. And she went, yeah, no, you got to do it like this. And we went out to lunch together, you know, and oh my goodness. consulting with me. So yeah, I, and, and now it's, there's way more. Oh, now it's like, there's more stuff than I know what to do with in terms of articles and books. And um, so now it's more a question of keeping up with it all. But yeah, total immersion, and and then archaeologists love me when when I come to their digs. They're like, "Oh yeah, here, let me show you everything," because their stuff is never going to reach out to very many people. Because it's as mm. I say, it's the best cure for insomnia ever. But um, but when I take what they've done and put it into fiction, then you know, then there's appeal <laughs> innately built into it. So. Um, yeah. So I work, I've traveled a lot. I've gone to all of these sites that I write about. Um, unsaved ruins are incredibly ruined. Um, you have to reconstruct in your imagination. Um, but I do it with a fair, fair degree of, of expertise at this point, but took a long time. <laughs> I don't, I don't doubt it. Um, yeah, this is just, uh, uh, again, I, I, I find it so fascinating. Again, um, one of those reasons is because I, I love, um, you know, that, uh, you know, the, uh, the ancient Near East and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, I think, I think in Priestess of Ishana, there is a uh, reference to uh, Ugarit and uh, uh, just in, in, in passing. And uh, I, I was, pretty excited when I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And you'll notice that although my, at that point, very young woman, who's not a queen yet, but going to Mm -hmm. be a queen, um, is talking to a suitor and the suitor is an ignoramus and he does not know the reference to Ugarit. Yeah, that's right. That's not right. Up on international <laughs> politics the way she already is, you know, you can see the future queen easily at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 No, it's really, it's really <laughs> cool. Um, oh, I love it so much. Um, so speaking of, uh, so your main character, um, Tesha it is a, a priestess, um, the titular uh, priestess of Ishana in the, the the first book in this series, and so this this affords her, um, you know, a, a little bit more agency maybe than than some women would have had um, in that in, in that particular uh, historical context. And I, again, was this you, you kind of mentioned a, a few moments ago that that uh, she. The, the historical person that she's based on, you know, kind of uh, caught your attention or, or caught your imagination. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that it, 
this was more because she caught your imagination then as opposed to just the the way the the plot developed as you were you were writing the story or whatnot yeah i started with her and just um, queens tend not to get much coverage i mean they have in fiction in the last 10 years or so historical fiction writers do a lot um and certainly fantasy has a lot of central strong women and central characters but um she was, um, as you say, this is a very patriarchal society she lives in. Yep. And yet she was a queen. I mean, once we uncovered her history and, and you know, read her, we have her judicial decrees, letters, uh, treaties she signed with, with Ramses II and various other people. So we have a, a fair amount about her. And she is widely respected um, and admired in her world, um, even though it's very much a a male-oriented world, as you said. Now, Hittite queens, they had a certain amount of independent power built into their legal system. Um, She continues to rule after her husband dies, as is standard with Hittite queens, but, but with a king. I mean, then, for example, her son then takes takes the kingship. Um, his wife does not get to take over as queen until, you know, the, the queen mother is, is, is gone. <laughs> there are some <laughs> great tensions. I'm looking forward to the last, you know, late in my series when I get to look at some of that dynamic, but, um, but so she did have built in some rights there, but no one else, no other women in the Hittite world mm-hmm. took the kind of liberties that she did. Um, I mean, she had her own independent seal that she used constantly. Um, her husband felt no need to, uh, you know, second guess what she was doing. Um, she is clearly the guiding uh, light behind the treaty that she formed with um, Egypt uh, with Ramses II. And I, that's the woman that I write. Um, this is a strong-willed, incredibly bright woman who found a partner who really respected her and matches her in a lot of ways. So there's a, um, a pretty solid relationship um, that, that gets, you see the opening moment of that in the first book. And then uh, the series carries on with that. But, um, but it's also true that in that first book, um, I mean, I had to get her future husband who's, you know, she doesn't even know him at that point. I had to get him Mm -hmm. off stage um, and debilitated so that she could do what needed to be done because yeah. you know, otherwise she wasn't going to get a chance to do it, um, which put me in a, you know, I ended up with a man in a locked room by himself. It's like the thing you're never supposed to do in writing. I mean, he was out there doing things and being active and all of that. But then I had this other strand of the novel um, where the poor guy is locked up. So I brought lots of trouble to his um, prison cell. Um, he he certainly does not miss out on action, but it took a lot of to save myself from this ridiculous position of locked man, man in a locked room, you know, the classic thing. Right, yep. But it is, it, it, to, I, once again, to me, uh, one of the things that, that, I just love here is how this, and this is one of the advantages, right? That that historical fiction uh, has is these these real life historical people, uh, you know, that 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 actually lived. 
um, authors can take their stories and yes, by all means shape the specifics and, 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 you know, take some liberties and, and whatnot, but still, um, uh, you know, whether it be historical fantasy or uh, historical fiction more generally, you know, uh, uh, give these uh, these characters um, almost, a, a, I don't want to say a second life, but but bring them to life in kind of new ways for uh, modern audiences. And I think I think that's really cool. And I think, you know, that's really what you're doing here with um, with Tesha in this uh, in this series. Yeah, that was certainly my intent. I, I particularly because she got so lost. I mean, she's um, had she not, you know, had she been part of the early archaeological undertakings of, you know, Napoleon in Egypt, where you know King Tut, everybody knows who King Tut is, everyone mm-hmm, knows who mm-hmm. Cleopatra is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But she just doesn't. Um, she got lost, and I, I thought she was such a remarkable human being. Um, and then the Hittite culture is such a, I mean, the fact that I write fantasy comes directly because she had access to all of this magic that she totally believed in. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hardwired into this culture that they do these rituals and they think magic happens. And I just let all that do exactly what um you know, all good fantasy has rules to the magic and limits and all of those things. I just took took the Hittite culture and said, okay, working <laughs> in these parameters, except that everything they think can happen will, you know, like as opposed mm-hmm. to reality mm-hmm. where, okay, maybe it didn't really happen. Um, yeah, who knows? Maybe it did. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, and again, the the way the way that that history shapes the the creative process here for you is is really um, is really cool. Uh, so now, speaking of characters in in terms of writing, um, certainly uh, it seems like uh, for you, character really came first out of kind of like the big three character plot or setting, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, 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 in terms of just kind of this, um, this character gripping you. Uh, but then how, how did then the, the, the plot um, kind of d- develop out of that? What was, what, what did your process look like to go from, Oh, here's a really interesting um, historical person that I'm intrigued by and, and want to kind of tell their story to here's actually the plot of the book, uh, you know, that I'm writing. Yeah. I look at what happened in, we have, a, um, I mean, big gaps in it, but we do have mm-hmm. the historical record of what happened in her world. Um, and during her life, we have the exact moment that they met, for example, and I started with that. And there was a uh, accusations of, of, of cursing. Uh, and I don't mean like swear words. I mean, right, like right. casting a curse and, you know, throwing magic at somebody and causing. So I took that and that was the beginning of my plot in this most recent book. Um, we knew that there were certain um you know, wars and cycles of conflict and uh, processes of throne change and all of those. And I just took those and those those are very bare bones because we have such tiny records in terms of the details. So it gives me a huge amount of imaginative room, which is great. You know, people who write historical fiction set in 1960-something, you're doomed. Like, you know, people do a, <laughs> do a great job, but yikes. Um, you don't get any room to move. That's right. I, 
I got plenty of room to, I can take my plots all kinds of places, but I keep those markers that, um, that I know are true. Um, and I don't violate those. So that gives me like this puzzle framework. It's intellectually so fun. Um, it's like, you know, it's like the the toddler who needs just enough structure in their life to go wild. <laughs> so I'm 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 playing in the in the little bits of history and having fun. So my sandbox is really cool. That is cool. That is very cool. So, um, switching switching gears slightly here, uh, what what books uh, have you been reading and enjoying recently? Um, I have been reading a mixture of uh, historical fiction, which I do a fair amount of reviewing for Historical Novels Review. It's like this magazine of, of the uh, of the industry, um, and so my most recent reads have been in straight historical um, mysteries. Uh, one was mm. set in Holland in the like 1674 with this sort of in, a very intellectual, not such an emotionally gauging book called uh, Untrue Till Death, but fun piece of history I didn't know. Um, I read, I, I uh, actually did a manuscript edit read for a friend who writes uh, Sir Francis Bacon and the one that her mystery that was the death of Marlowe. So that's, you know, she was trying to work out <laughs> her solution to this famous crisis. So that was fun. Um, in fantasy, most recently I read the um, Legacy of Ash, which is uh, Matthew Ward. I had never read mm, that series, yeah. but I started it. I really liked it. Good mix of sort of empire politics and, uh, you know, magical creatures that are actually manufactured, but they're not all that different from my griffins and my magic. So it was a lot that I enjoyed watching similar puzzle pieces in how you put a book together going in a completely different context, you know, like the world's totally different, totally different characters, but the same tool. So I enjoyed that. Um, I've got, I've never read um, Jemison's inheritance trilogy and I noticed it on sale. So I grabbed it the other day. So that's my next joy. Cause I love her. She's oh, one of cool. my favorite writers. So. Oh, she's she's amazing. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh I think I think you are uh, very likely to to enjoy that that series. So, um you know, in, enjoy that uh you know, whenever you whenever you get the chance to to get to it. Um and and that's that's cool neat neat. I I love you know, it's always it's always interesting to hear uh when I have the opportunity to ask authors um you know, and and every author is a little different. Some authors tend to read kind of very much similar to, to what they write and others, uh, you know, are, uh, kind of all over the place and, and not, not necessarily similar to what they write at all, or, or just, uh, more eclectic generally or whatever. So it's, it's kind of, it's a question that I enjoy hearing the, uh, the responses to, um, a lot. Um, so now here is another question that I really enjoy hearing the responses to, um, and, I know listeners uh, enjoy this one, and it uh, it has been called the the most difficult question that that I ask um, on the podcast. <laughs> uh, so, if you could have dinner with any character in all of science fiction or fantasy, uh, who would it be, and why? Well, we'll go we'll go back to Jemison because she is one of my favorites. And I would like to have dinner with Essen, you know, the 
main point of view character in um, her um, fifth season series. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, and I that character is such a broken and fragmented human being, and yet she's just keeps going. You know, she keeps reaching and she finds love and she loses it, you know, like she's to me that kind of endurance. Um, and she's brilliant. Like she's constantly figuring out what, you know, what the world is and, and how she's going to navigate through it. Um, I would just find that really interesting to listen to her and just keep lobbying gentle questions out there and listening to her. That would be my joy. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I feel like, I mean, obviously she, she goes through so much, um, you know, but it just, I feel like that would be uh, a, a conversation that you could learn um, so much from. And and pick up uh, so much from. Uh, wow, yeah. yeah, yeah. That would that that that's a really good one. That is a really good one. Uh, no one no one has ever named um, Essen before. In fact, I'm not sure that anyone has yet named uh, any of Jemison's characters, which actually surprises me a little bit. Well, they're not comfortable uh, you know. people. You wouldn't be having sure, a comfy, sure. comfy conversation. But I am much more interested in other sorts of conversations. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, so uh, for, for those who may not have uh, read uh, the fifth season, um, the, you know, uh, check it out. Essen is one of the, the characters. And if I'm not... If I'm not mistaken, Essen is written in the second person, isn't? Aren't her perspectives? In the- uh, there are multiple. Yeah. Okay. Like yep. there's a there's a spoiler in there that we won't go into, but yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. It's very yeah. complex. The point of view, the narration of that book is so brilliant. Um, oh whenever I do a fair amount of teaching of writing classes, um, and I use her all the time because you know. She's she's the gold standard of how you work a point of view. <laughs> it really she she does some amazing things uh, with point of view. Frankly, I think in all of her books, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, yeah. There 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 are a few interesting things in in uh, the Inheritance series as well that 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 I, I won't get into for spoilers. But but that from but from that perspective of kind of, um, you know, character perspective and, and narrative perspective that I think you'll you'll find um, yeah, quite enjoyable and interesting um, okay. as you as you get there. So, um, well, well, Judah, thank you uh, once again so much for, for coming on and uh, and talking with me here. Uh, where can folks find you and your books online? My website is very easy, judithstarkston.com, and it's got uh, a newsletter, which I actually am about to give away. I have written uh, a novella. It's not done yet, but so getting there. Um, 
set in the land of the griffins. No human beings in it. They are my griffins are very uh, capable of conversing. They do it telepathically. But anyway, so there's lots of dialogue, but not uh, not any humans. So um, my newsletter is fun because that'll come to you very soon. Um, but, um, and all my books are there, but for sale, they are all on Amazon. I have, um, all but my most recent one in, in Kindle Unlimited. So I'm just on Amazon. Um, you can just put my name in and they'll come up. Um, of Kings and Griffins is my most recent one. And if people are totally into mythological beasts, you know, um, that, I write my books easily as standalone. So you can start there or you can, you know, be a thorough reader of a series and start with Priestess of Ashana. So they're all on Amazon. So. Awesome. Well, once again, uh, Judith, thank you so much uh, for those listening. Uh, if you have not already uh, read uh, Judith's uh, novels, make sure that you uh, go check them out. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you once again. Thank you.